Are you in a fucking dressing gown shoe? Yeah. Are you rocking the Arthur Dent look, is it? <laughs> well, uh, considering that I might be in a dressing gown, I have got winter warmer ale. <laughs> if, if we're going to start putting, uh, if we're putting these kind of things on the internet soon, we're going to need some kind of rules of engagement. Yeah, <laughs> video, video content is going on the internet. I mean, when, when the the mockery, undeserved mockery I had from eating a, a corned beef and brown sauce sandwich on a on a shed roof was in the, there was no need for it. Was there? it was just a fact, <laughs> a factual thing that happened today? So it was stupid, but it's the fact that like you work down the mines and stuff, and it just adds. I, ne- I never worked down the mines. I've been down the mines before with the Black Country Museum. It's, it had the coal bags on my back and chucked them out of my head. Didn't go down the mines. But that's the thing, though. When we, we used to do that, you never used to like wash your hands or anything because obviously there was nowhere to do it. So you'd have your, your sandwiches or your chippy or wherever you were having that day. And you'd have like, coal dust all over, the, all over the place. So you're just inhaling this stuff anyway. Now, in, in the civilised world where you... A speck of dust on your hands. I was scrub it away, completely sanitised. Never ill, never ill. When I was eating coal dust every day. The thing is now, like you can get coal in your fucking toothpaste yeah. and stuff. It's everywhere, so it's good Do for you. Pioneer now, again. That's it, you pioneering, brushing your teeth with <laughs> a lump of fucking coal. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping well in this autumnal weather we're having. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Real hardcore fans are still wearing shorts. Yes, we are wearing shorts. Shorts still November is the rule, as we all know this. Um, but just because we are in November doesn't mean you have to give up. You can still continue. You can you can play on through until it gets suboptimal levels of coldness, um, which... At six degrees tonight is very pushing it, pushing it quite a lot, but still out at work today with shorts on is the way to go. I think normally it's when it's got like icy rain. That's when you kind of think, mm. like reassess your life choices and think, nah, this is it's getting a bit silly now. Um, but we haven't had that yet, so bring it on. And you need a bit of chill in the air when holidays are coming, so it all adds to it. I have a question, Stu. Now, I don't know your stance on this, but based on your stance on a lot of other things i'm guessing you're a climate change denier and would you say that the fact that we can wear our shorts into november is a proof that climate change exists there's there's no suggestion that climate change doesn't exist it's if anyone has anything to do with it or anything can change it is the uh is the issue (laughs) if we're gonna go full lee dixon but no I, i mean i Years ago, I used to be able to wear shorts, and then there was that cut. There was a couple of years where it was ridiculously cold early on, and you were like in full jumpers in October. It's always been up and down. It's all weird all the time. But this, mm. it's annoying because you want it to be cold enough at Christmas to wear your Christmas jumpers, and then you ended up having wearing a vest and then a Christmas jumper just so you can wear it. And it's like, well, it defeats the object. 
But well, we're in a we're in a funny world now because a lot of people work from home, and of course, when people are paying for their own heating and stuff. Whereas I go into the office, it's red hot, so I've been wearing shorts every day this week to work because I've got two massive wall-length radiators behind me. So if I don't, if I wear what I would wear outside on my commute to work, I'll be sweating bollocks by the time I get into the office and when I'm sat down. But people are going to be at home paying for their own heating because they're working from home, and they're going to have to be in full Christmas kit wanker jumper weather all season round. So we're in, a, we're in the end times. Or they could just not bother putting the heating on and do... See, this is why fingerless gloves are the thing. See, so again, thinking ahead, being, a, being ahead of the curve. I had fingerless gloves at that FA Cup semi-final because I wore them at every round of that that year, of that tournament. And yet the FA Cup semi-final was in May and it wasn't exactly warm that day either, was it? So there was a reason for, for wearing them. But still, fingerless gloves, as the wet slash dicky bandits have shown over and over the time again, <laughs> they have a purpose, and they're, they're actually they're, where they kind of hit the top the, the top of your fingers. It's kind of a nice feel. So when you're typing away with fingerless gloves on, you ain't gonna put your heater on, so you're saving money, and what's you get in the Christmas spirit. A, what's the difference between a fingerless glove and a mitten? Because isn't a mitten got like the the bitch just on a piece of string to hook over your fingers? Yeah, you I, I've got those ones. Yeah, of course he has. I was going to say, mittens are for babies because they have string and they, they put it through like, through the sleeves and stuff so they don't fall off. Have you got that as well? No, I haven't got the string. I've just got the, <laughs> I've just got the ones that you pull over. It's like fingerless gloves with fleecy lined and then you just pull the cap over it. That's the ones I've got. So it's the best of both worlds. But my thumbs okay, get cool. cold because that's out on display. Okay, a question for both of you before we get into real purpose of why we're here <laughs> is it acceptable to wear socks in bed a and b is it acceptable to wear the socks you've worn that day in bed and just not to take them off because i find the idea of wearing socks in bed horrific it makes my skin crawl yeah like, I, agree. I need my toes to be free i well as you know i don't like wearing socks anyway but I've got the the toe socks, so like the individual ones. They feel so much more comfortable because I like my toe to be able to move my toes independently. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I could maybe get away with wearing them in bed, but I find if my feet get warm, then I just get too hot and I get irritable. So no socks in bed for me. Yeah, it, it, it'd have to be incredibly cold to uh, to keep the socks. I mean... It, there's nothing in no world are you putting socks on to get into bed. That's just backward nonsense mm. madness. I mean, if you've already got them on and it's cold and you think, well, okay, I'm, I'll give it a chance. But it's very, very rare if that happens at all that I manage to manage the whole night through without taking them off in the middle of the night because I've overheated. <laughs> so you, you know. Your, your feet are already covered anyway at night, so there's no real need for them to be covered twice. It's just, it's just silliness. It's mm. true. And and if you play it right, all you can do, if you lift your feet up a little bit, the quilt will go underneath and you put yourself in a, a tucked situation. Yes. So you, you, yes. you're covered perfectly, yeah. Mm. Tucked as in that. like Finkel's own horn. <laughs> Not like that, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't forbid it because I'm not at least I'm not that kind of husband. But 
I really don't, I really don't like the heating on in our bedroom here because I wake up all snotty and horrible, sinusy. Mm. So it's a fine balance between being cold and warm. Well, I've, I've said this before about having the window open in the winter um, so that you get a bit of cold air on your face when you wake up. And I know, I know that seems a bit mad, but if you just try it, just, just try it just once. Not when, not, you're talking like minus three, like tonight where it's six degrees at the minute. Just give it a little go. Just, just open it a little bit and then you get a bit of cold breeze and you put a bit of Mariah Carey on. And you think, and you get in that Christmassy mood, and it makes you feel better. And then you fall asleep. Then you wake up. You think, oh! And then you have a nice, get all snuggly. And then when you get out of bed, you're all refreshed. Just another tip there. Just try. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm down with the. The idea of having the window open, but. Yeah, but it is nice to have like a fan or something on when it's cool, and then. You can feel like the the coldness outside of the quilt, but you're like a burrito inside of it, and you're all nice and toasty. Mm. So I, I sort of get shoes logic. I'm just not sure I'd want the actual window open for it. I hear you. I hear you. Anyway, that's Stu Hall. <laughs> the longest <laughs> intro in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was Fashion Corner of Cage Fight. First one ever. Uh, moving on to the news of why we're actually here. Starting off with some sad news. Um, it's probably sad to only a handful of people who listen to this podcast, but our local independent cinema, The Lighthouse, has closed its doors for the last time. Um, it came about really quick. Like The news broke on Wednesday night that Thursday was going to be the last day of trading. Like I'm kind of devastated having been going there for 15 plus years at this point. It feels like it was a part of the city and quite a big part of my journey of watching films, having done film studies at university in that very building. Um, so our hearts go out massively to everyone involved with the lighthouse. It's devastating news. Uh, moving on, I think we'll start, we'll briefly touch on the MCU. It's oldish news now, but we've been a bit busy of late. Ryan Reynolds has confirmed that Deadpool 3 is on its way and Hugh Jackman will be returning as Wolverine. What do you think of this? I'm a little bit disappointed to see that Hugh Jackman is wolverine up once again. I know storyline-wise it doesn't really matter, but he made an artistic choice, which he's going back against. Feels a bit cheap. Matt, where are you standing on everything Deadpool and Wolverine? Yeah, I mean, if it had ended with Logan and that would have felt like the right time to put a nail in that duration of that character, but at the same time, I don't think the gags that will inevitably be made about Wolverine and Hugh Jackman in Deadpool 3 have anywhere near the the weight if it's not Hugh Jackman, to be honest. And that kind of gives him a pass, I think, as long as he's not involved in any more actual X-Men-related MCU stuff, I think we can give him a pass because it's it's meta, isn't it, Deadpool? It's taking the piss out of that world, if anything. So I think it's just about okay for me. Stu, I'm guessing you're going to be all on board for this one. <sighs> There was that that similar kind of thought at first, though. Um, amazingly, 
But the fact that Logan is so far in the future, even still, um, in the future of that X-Men universe, and it's the very last days of him, this is obviously going to be some kind of grabbing him from some point in the past, I mean, days of future past. Oh. Um, you don't, we don't know what period he's going to be pulled from. We obviously know it's not going to be the end days like Logan was. So from that point of view, yeah, I mean, I'm still, he doesn't, does he actually say Wolverine? Or does he say Hugh in that thing? Because that could be a funny, like if he's kind of kidnapped him on his way to playing Wolverine, if he if did mm. something like that and change it up completely. But because, like Matt said, how stupid Deadpool is in the first place, it doesn't really matter and they can do whatever they want anyway. And they've already took the piss out of having two different uh, Professor X's in the first Deadpool film. Um, so it doesn't really matter. Um, it's not... It's canon, but it's not canon, is it? It's yeah. It's just a bit of fun. It's, it's going to be a bit of a laugh. Um, I don't think it takes away anything that Logan was and the end of Logan and how, how sad and upsetting that was, genuinely upsetting that was. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not you no know, tainted because he's doing a little skit from twenty years earlier in the timeline. Wise, not not for me anyway. That's fair. Uh, On to a different kind of MCU now, the Mario Cinematic Universe. <laughs> what did you think of the trailer? Like a lot's been made about Chris Pratt's voice acting. We do hear a snippet of that. What What do you think of the trailer? What do you think of Chris Pratt, Stu? Bring it on. Can't wait. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it was a bit of, um, let's be careful here because of how good Sonic was, which is, I mean, you say that mm-hmm. for, even five years ago, you'd be having your head looked at. But both, maybe even the second one's better than the first, but at this point, I don't know. I haven't watched it again since. Um, but them Sonic films are so good that this now has to live up to it. And with the people behind it, you're going to guess that it will. And I don't really have a problem with Chris Pratt. He is, seems like a nice enough guy. I mean, yeah, he's obviously got his own views on things, but he wasn't. So he, he, he seems harmless enough. I just, he, you can't have the Itami of it. Because that would have been, having it for a whole film would have been yeah. ridiculous. So not really that much of a problem with it. He's got a tinge of an accent, but that's all, all you really need. At the end of the day, it's an animated cartoon game plumber. So it, it's it's not remaking Ben-Hur, is it? I mean, come on. Yeah. So I haven't really got a problem with him. It just looks really, really fun. And mm. that's kind of what we need. So bring it on. Mm. Matt, how good does the, the animation of Bowser look? Like you can almost see Jack Black in the mm. face of Bowser. I think it looks superb. The trailer for me has turned this film into I will see it to I will see it on day one. That's what <laughs> that's what the trailer's done because I've seen it anyway. Like I I'm invested because of being a gamer over the last yeah. twenty odd years. So I'd have seen it anyway, but the, the the trailer was really excellent to get me hyped up for it and to get a flavour of that world. The whole accent thing is easily solved anyway by having him treat it like it was Mario 64 and he jumps through a painting into some kind of 
universe where he's Italian for yeah. one for, for, for 30 seconds. Do you know what I mean? Like if just to get a flavor of that or to cameo, you know, the original voice actor of Mario, whatever. Um, it's, it's easily solvable. It's going to be really fun. It's going to, I think even just from that trailer, it's going to be tongue in cheek comedy that some kids won't understand, which will be a good thing as a nod to the adults as well. So it's going to be brilliant. I really can't wait. I'm hoping, you know, I, I, I've not, I was never massively into Sonic to the, um, uh, growing up game wise. Um, cause I only had the master system two and then I never had like a Sega Saturn or anything else that mm. played Sonic. Um, so this is all it's got to do. Like it has detective Pikachu to live up to. And cause that's a class film as far as I'm concerned, but I'm confident that it will. Yeah. I, I like the, the scene where, the forces of evil, evil seem to be squaring up to a bunch of penguins and they go hell for leather to try and beat them and they just stood there because they're being hit by snowballs. And it, it, it looks really cutesy and funny for the kids, but it also looks like it's going to be silly enough and probably grown up enough that the adults are going to like it. Mm. Because of it being like a 40-plus-year-old franchise at this point, they've got to expect that there's going to be plenty of adults going as well as the children. So I I do hope they get that balance right. And the trailer is very hopeful looking. So, yeah, fingers crossed on that one. We're moving into the DCEU now. Um, First off, the biggest news at the time of recording. And it's the biggest news we've had for quite some time within DC. Uh, Peter Safran and James Gunn have been handed the keys to the Fortress of Solitude. So Safran is going to be looking after the commercial aspects within DC uh, on TV and what have you on the big screen but Gunn is going to be taking the creative lead and that's going to be on DC's films their TV and the animation output Um, so I expect this will give some kind of consistent shared universe across all of the, the different media that they'll be putting out there like, I don't know if I want it to be one particular streamlined world, because I quite like the fact that we get stories from here, there, and everywhere. Like We've got the Batman universe, we've got the Joker, the animated universe is its own thing, we had the Arrowverse. I quite like that we had different stories from everywhere. Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see where this is going, but I don't know if I want a particularly streamlined world or just continue with it, the bit of everything that we've been getting. Uh, Matt, where do you stand on this appointment? I think if it, if by having one person be the overseer of this world and it creates a consistency in kind of a, a target audience or an output, then I'm, I'm not against it. And what I mean by that is if the DCEU wants to be, let me put this in wrestling terms, if it wants to be when Nitro was was first there, cutting edge, edgy, aimed at a more teen to, uh, you know, late teen to adult kind of audience. And Marvel wants to stay being a little more kid-friendly or a little bit more of, of that audience. So it becomes a viable alternative, but it has its own, it has its own culture and it has its own identity because it's led by one person at the top who sends that message down. So when you look at kind of the more recent gun stuff in relation to the Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy, Peacemaker, stuff along those lines, even going as far into the into the um, animated stuff with the Harley Quinn series, etc. You know, 
there are a lot of people that are clamoring for something a little bit more edgy from their superhero films something that marvel doesn't always give you and that's not a bad thing some people like vanilla ice cream some people like strawberry not got a problem with that and i i think having it all under the banner of someone that's got a track record of putting out more edgier maybe infantile in its comedy but an edgier product i don't think it's a bad thing as long as it's consistent yeah Stu, you've i know you're a big fan of james gunn big fan of the peacemaker what do you make of, of James Gunn being the creative mind who's going to be controlling the way forward? I'm kind of torn on this because as soon as you take the MCU way, as soon as they started putting Kevin Feige's name on the films, they all went shit. So <laughs> um, it's do you, is it a good idea to put so much on, on one person and, rather than just have the vibes that they've been having, which has been perfectly fine. And the DC films recently have been really good in their own little way. And I don't know. It seems like it's like 15 years too late to be doing this kind of thing now. Like this mm. is what should have happened. Like I say, James Gunn came in with Man of Steel and they did it then. And But we've already got that now and we've all got the, the Snyder stuff that it's already happened. And that was a, it didn't really work, did it? So, mm. whereas what I mean, oh, you obviously love all this stuff, and so do you. And does it then start to infiltrate other things that don't really match up with it? Just to say, oh no, we're kind of with James mm. Gunn DC now. It's kind of it seems forcing things that they don't need to be forcing. If that's not the case, then great, bring it on. Mm. But I just don't see why they do this when there seems to be an open book policy anyway. Yeah. I think the one thing that does sort of give me a little bit of confidence is the fact that James Gunn, he seems to be like a direct, a creative's creative, I think I put in a tweet. He, he's very much the kind of guy who will give the people the freedom to, to express what they want. It might just be that he has a very, a very big, wide overview and it's not going to be a case that he's going to be telling Matt Reeves, you need to throw a dick joke into the next The Batman movie. Because obviously that wouldn't work. So I'm just hoping that really he might just say, this is the path you want to go down. You just take it there however you need to. Whereas I feel that with Feige, he's very much, this is the path and this is how you get in there. So I'm hoping it's more of the other way than the, the Marvel way, personally. Hmm. Uh, still within the DC universe, Keanu Reeves is back as Constantine or Constantine for the Americans. Have you seen the original? Did you like the original? Are you excited for the sequel, Stu? I thought it was all a bit strange when I, first, I saw it first time round. I mean, you're talking years and years ago at this point, and I probably haven't seen it for the best part of a decade. But there's only one Constantine, there, and that's Matt Ryan. And why are we why are we pissing about with all this? Why mm-hmm. we why do we just do the real thing and just give him a, the job properly? And he's done a great job on CW for the last five years or whatever it's been since he's been on there. He's Constantine. I don't. I I know we, it's like the Keanu Reeves Renaissance. I just don't get why. That film of all of all of them has to come back. Mm. Just it just seems a bit odd. Yeah, I mean, I, I like 
Hellblazer and, and all that. But I do see Matt Ryan as my Constantine. But, yeah. Mm, I don't know. Matt, what about yourself? Are you a fan of the original at all? or? Yeah, I mean, I... Oddly enough, some of my favourite films revolve, for someone who is a staunch atheist as myself, revolve around the religious side of the supernatural. So one of my guilty pleasures film-wise is, is End of Days. Um, <laughs> like, and I genuinely like really like that film and I know Spawn isn't quite religious but there's elements of it there as well and um and constant you know Constantine as well I think it's it's I mean it's been a long time since I've seen it but I'd definitely be up for more of that world I don't think it's a story that's been explored to death and you know you talk about Matt Ryan and his his exploits in terms of the character but apart from you know, you neckbeards that watch everything and if that, you know, no matter how bad the budget and how, bad, how shit it looks, mm. us normal people haven't seen it. So we ain't bothered by, by Matt Ryan. So we only know Keanu Reeves, so it's not really of any concern. I think it'll be fine. Yeah, I think it's more, it's like, and as I said to you the other day, I generally don't care how a character is moved from, you know, one medium to the other. Just because they're one way in a book doesn't mean they have to be that way on the screen. But I want to see that version. I want to see that comic book version of mm. Constantine. I want to see the the bisexual, hard-drinking southerner kicking ass and being a bit of a cunt. And I'd, we didn't get that with Keanu last time, so I would like to have seen it this time. I, I don't think we will because he's not going to transport his accent over the <laughs> over the Atlantic for a start. So... But yeah, I'd just like to see that version of a character, but I suppose we get what we're given, don't we? Uh, speaking of Reeves, though, there was a bit of a weird story in the last week. Matthew Perry, Chandler Bing, was taking shots at Keanu Reeves. So um, Matthew Perry's got his memoir autobiography thing coming out soon. He wrote, Why is it that the original thinkers like River Phoenix and Heath Ledger die, but Keanu Reeves walks amongst us? walks among us and then again said I punched a hole through Jennifer Aniston's dressing room wall when I found out that Chris Farley had died Keanu Reeves walks among us like is this the weirdest feud ever and of all the people to have an issue with like I don't get why you hate Keanu Reeves there was a time like in the late 90s early noughts where he was a bit of a joke like they used to say that he was a very wooden actor, but that's very much not who Keanu Reeves is anymore. Mm. I, I don't get what the joke is, if I'm being perfectly honest. I can only assume that at the point, and let's not forget, the you know, the actors in Friends were getting paid a million dollars an episode in that last series. So it's not like they were they were loose change, but maybe there's a, an element of jealousy that, that Perry never made it on, you know, on the big screen in any any way, shape or form, really. Mm. I don't think. Um, I mean, he's he's a troubled man. And I don't mean troubled in, like, he's a bit weird. Like, on the Friends reunion episode, not that long ago, you could see that he's, like, broken. A broken mm. person. And I, as much as I want to be, like, outraged and up in arms and going, what a prick he is, I genuinely feel an element of pity about him. 
to be honest, because he just looks like he's just everything about the negatives of famous Hollywood life or, or, or being in the public eye seems to have gotten to him. Um, and then there was the stuff that come out about how he was in love with Jennifer Aniston and she's rejected him and all this kind of stuff. He just looks like it's it's uncomfortable to see anything about him in, in the public media at the minute. Mm, there's a certain darkness to it all, isn't that? And, and not yeah. in a fun way, I don't think. Stu, this one's baffling, isn't it? He's just fucked up, eh? That's that's just that's pretty in simple terms. There's not this the way they talked about him when he wasn't on screen in that in that reunion thing. It was like, yeah, well, we've tried, we've all tried to help him, and he's beyond saving. And it's it's like it's almost like Gaza. You just you just waiting for that day to wake up and he's dead because that's that's just seems like the only way it's ever gonna. And they're going to change at this point because he's gone, he's too far gone the other way. Mm. And coming out with outrageous nonsense like this, and yeah, he's got a book out, whatever. But the blood don't look healthy. He's clearly not of sound mind. And if he if he didn't have all the money in the world, he'd be sectioned by now. So it's mm. you know what I mean. It's, it's just one of these where he's whatever happened to him, if it was substance abuse or whatever, he's just lost. And there doesn't seem to be any way back for him. And doing all this stuff and fueling the fire. And I think it was good that not a lot of people, media places, picked up on it too much. And he didn't get that much attention because he's just like, oh, I'll just leave him alone. Just ignore him and he'll go away. Maybe he'll yeah. learn that way. But at this point, you kind of don't think that he will. And he's just going to end one way with him because sad, obviously tragic and terrible and sad as it is. He's just beyond help. Mm. Yeah, it is. There's a certain sadness to the whole situation. He has walked those comments back saying he doesn't have any issue with Kenner Reeves now, but just such a weird thing to put out there in the first place. Uh, finally, the last bit of news within the DCEU. It's sort of tangential, but the most beautiful man in the world, Henry Cavill, has confirmed he's back full-time in the blue and red of Superman. Um, but he will not be pulling on the grey and black of Geralt, I believe it's pronounced, in season four of The Witcher. Um, That's going to be taken over by one of the lesser Hemsworths in Liam. Apparently, the studio wanted someone who, with experience of being second choice. Um, Apparently, what it was, was Cavill is a big nerd and he loves The Witcher. And he was constantly butting heads with the showrunners because they were taking the character in a different director to what he wanted to. So, apparently, he's the one who steps away and they've been replaced with Liam. I've not seen the series, I've got to be honest. I've heard fairly good things about it. Um, Do you respect Henry Cavill for stepping away, for having this uh, clash within his vision for the character, or should he be sucking it up and doing what the directors are telling him? What do you think? He's, like you said, he he plays D&D and he paints little figures. He's he very much is. If he didn't look like he did, he'd still be a virgin, wouldn't he? I mean, yeah. it's <laughs> outstanding how he he's he's like the poster boy for all of us. Um, <laughs> but I I do love the Witcher. I think it's it's superb. The whole how it's the episodes came come out of time was a bit annoying to start with, but then you kind of get used to it and. 
you can figure out a running order that's in a proper sequence and whatever, so you ain't going jumping all over the place. Should have come out like that in the first place, but still. But the character of Geralt himself, compared to the game, is pretty close to start with. Um, mm. Obviously, I haven't read the Polish books that it's based on, but I'm guessing that Henry Cavill has, because why wouldn't he? <laughs> um, so, to have the balls to do that, and the fact that he said he'd play it forever anyway in the first place, good. I mean, it's, it's better to do to walk away from something like this than put in a lackluster performance because you don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's much better doing it that way than just carrying on for it for the money and because you said so years ago. So, yeah, I mean, full respect to him for doing it. It's just... I can't see his replay. It's only like Spartacus where the guy was dying um, mm-hmm. and they had to be replaced. But and that ended up working out better because the replacement ended up being better than the original. But I can't see anyone else stepping up like he did. Not in this role anyway. It's all... It's going to be a bit too strange a jump unless something miraculous happens. Yeah. Uh, Matt, are you a fan of The Witcher and The Witcher universe in general, or is this not I've on only your played, radar? I've only played the one game, and I've watched one and three-quarter series of it. It's fine. It's fine as a show. Um, it's. I wanted it to be more Monster Hunter than it is. Okay. Um, and it's not quite that, unfortunately. Um, and in a time when, at the time of that, oh, there was so much going on, it, something had to give, and it was Witcher. So it's not of major consequence to me now. Um, but I respect the, um, I respect the gesture of what he's done, and for someone to have a bit of, um, you know, not take the, not take the dollar. In, in view of his values is something that should always be applauded, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so that is the news for this week. Matthew, have we had any listener questions in? By Jove, we have. So let's get uh, let's get to it. So uh, Todd wants to know, you are in charge of recasting the role of Ash in the Evil Dead series. Who do you cast to? Hmm... As in now, or as in any time? You tell me, baby. Um, so remember I was talking about that guy who, who was in Crossroads who could have been Bond? Um, you know about <laughs> Simon Shepard again, is it, Shoe? No, not Simon Shepard, no. Although Simon, well, no, that'd be, that'd be too wrong. Um, <laughs> this is one of them where you kind of can't quite believe it's even possible to recast Ash. As anyone, if any, in any kind of reboot, but um, Idris Elba, why not? He can do everything else. <laughs> Until he's cast as someone, he's going to be cast as everyone. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Andy, what about yourself? Like, I hate to say Chris Pratt, but it kind of feels like it needs to be someone who's kind of handsome, but a bit quirky as well, because that's the perfect Bruce Campbellness of it. Like no one brings that swagger quite like Bruce Campbell, and I feel like a Chris Pratt type, but probably not Chris Pratt. Maybe mm. like a young Ben Affleck would have been a good choice. Someone who's like quite conventionally good looking, and was very cocksure of himself. I think would could have played that role quite well. Like mm. a a chasing Amy aged Ben Affleck, I think would have done a really good job on it. 
You know who you're describing there is Jensen Ackles. In... Yeah, Jensen Ackles, yeah, he would have been excellent, yeah. Mm, very good. Uh, Andrew Wright uh, wants to know, which movie-based street or neighbourhood would you least like to go trick-or-treating in, uh, Andy? I mean, it feels like the obvious answer would be uh, Elm Street, but you don't have, you'd have to fall asleep there for it to be an issue, wouldn't you? Mm. That's true. I mean... Yeah, so... Why you haven't taken any form of hallucinogenic narcotics? Surely the answer is sesame. <laughs> yeah, that would be terrifying, terrifying, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be terrifying. Um, maybe like Hobbit, Hobbiton or whatever it is. Just imagine rocking up in the middle of Hobbiton, trying to get some fucking sweets out of those weird little bastards in uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I think I'd be terrified you, of that one. What about you? For the similar kind of reason... Whatever the town is, where there's a yellow brick road going through the middle of it, because why would you ever want to be there? <laughs> Isn't is that what they wanted to build from the train station to Molyneux? Yeah. Wasn't that like a room for, <laughs> for the longest yeah. time? Yes, it was a room. It was a planning. They had planning permission to do it. The, the... But I heard, I heard they were going to build like a massive flyover. Yeah, yeah, that was the plan. Theory, man. Yeah, from where that bit where where the um, the civic hall is. It was going to go over the back and then come out at the top of by um, the Molyneux Hotel. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. Um, and from one ash to another, um, with the news that the Friday the Thirteenth see uh, Friday the Thirteenth is getting a prequel series. What other franchises would you like to see get the prequel treatment? A ten-parter on Freddy Krueger being tormented for potentially being a rotter would be chilling. That would be. And um, so, Stu, what, what would you like to see given the um, the prequel treatment? Let's get a bit of backstory here. Um, since we're, we're, we're past Halloween now, so we're not counting this, I, I'd actually like a prequel series on the Santa Claus. What, how he, how he, to what point, though? Is he a normal person that get? Hold on, when you say the Santa Claus, we're talking the... Um, Tim Allen one. Tim Allen one. Yeah. Because obviously it ends up at Tim Allen anyway, in, uh, spoilers, um, at the start of the first film. But he seemed a much more conventional Santa before he died. So, mm, okay, I hear. And he could go in a complete. See, the, the Santa Claus cinematic universe, and amazingly, he's back here eh, next year in the Santa Claus 4. So, that's a turn up for the books. God in heaven. Andy, what about yourself? We don't need any more Christmas misery. So, what, what's your uh, prequel? <laughs> uh, I, I want a Chucky prequel, a pre-doll Chucky prequel. So it's the Charles Lee Ray being the murdering vicious bastard, um, and the the last episode of the entire show is him running into the the doll store where he does his voodoo shit. Mm. I'd quite like to see where he's, especially because in the TV show now, like he's got a a daughter and all these other things. We don't know where that's come from. So I'd quite like to see something from from pre-Child's Play. Yeah, I think that'd be... Um, I think that'd be quite fun to see. It's really like over... The, I don't know. Over the last week or so, I've seen more Chucky stuff than I've seen in absolutely ages. Has there been news or something? Has there been like a new series come out or something? Yeah, it's uh, the fifth episode was out yesterday. Oh, um, okay. WWE superstar Liv Morgan was on an episode last week. It was oh. it was fucking weird, and she was terrible. Oh really? She yeah. 
she was playing herself and like oh, she okay. cannot talk. Mm, <laughs> it's awful. Well, I was going to say, and I didn't realise here that it was actually in development and then was cancelled, was a series about the Overlook Hotel um, from The Shining. But it looks like one was made and then pulled. Um, it's not moving. It was with HBO Max back in um, back in August uh, 2021, but they're not taking it any further because, you know, having more of that story pre The Shining would have been would have been excellent, really. It feels like that would be perfect fodder for that kind of thing. You could have like Especially a, like a, a monster a, of the week horror story style. Yeah, as well. Um, it seems silly that that hasn't been explored, but mm. who are we eh, to um, to pass judgment? But those are the uh, questions from our uh, faithful listeners this week. So uh, get your questions in; we will answer them. Thank you very much for your time. Wonderful, thank you. Uh, moving on to Hot Take Corner. You've just mentioned American Horror Story. We're sticking with Ryan Murphy. Um, this is sort of based around what's going on in the Dharma series. You don't really need to have seen it to have an uh, opinion on it. But my question is, do creatives hold a responsibility to tell the stories of horrific events as closely as possible to what actually happened? Should creative license trump people's lived experience? The reason I'm asking this is that some of the victims have spoken out or the victims' families have spoken out about how the characters have been portrayed and Jeffrey Dahmer's own father has allegedly been threatening to sue the production company and Netflix because they've basically said that he was the reason that Dahmer was a psychopath. Um, So how much responsibility do these people have to make sure that what they're telling is actually true? How how can we hold them accountable, so to speak? Stu? I don't think he's really got a leg to stand on there because he doesn't. It, that series doesn't make out it's his fault. I mean, it, it kind of hints that he's kind of, he hasn't helped the situation, but it also says that Dharma was an absolute crackpot lunatic who was born evil and beyond help. Um, it all goes back to like what we always say about ad- adaptations of anything, really, that, you're not making a documentary, are you? And as long as it's made clear at the start that this is based based on true events, as long as then words come up based on, not this is a retelling of, I don't think there's a real problem with it. It's like, well, obviously they've got to change a few things just to make it more interesting. A bit like Bohemian Rhapsody. I know you didn't like it, but it was a good film in its own right. And yet we know that there's not, some of the things in there are factually incorrect, but Brian was part of the consultation process in the first place. So, what do you do? Do you go completely mad and go, "Oh well, this is based on it, and we're going to change everything," or just like little tweaks here and there? Is that even acceptable? I'd say probably not. If you want to tell the true, true story, but this is not a true, true story. Is it's a dramatization for? titillation and for entertainment more than a retelling of the fact. So as long as it's made clear what it is, I don't think they've got really, I don't say that they've got an obligation. I, th- I just don't think it's a problem really. But then I'm gonna, I can understand from where they're coming from at the same time. Hmm. Matt, where do you stand on this one? I think as long as the overriding message is one of, 
vilifying the people that need vilifying, then I don't mind necessarily the creative adjustment. And in the same way as as long as we don't go down the avenue of victim blaming, you know what I mean? And if if we try and humanise these characters in these shows who are who are our, the subjects like Dharma, you know, if we try and humanise them and in any way make out that his victims had it coming or anything like that or anything unlikable, because don't get me wrong, they might have been unlikable people in their nine to five, but obviously didn't deserve what happened to them. I think as long as the core message is that he was inherently evil or in any of these shows, the the core message is that they are not portrayed as a hero or even an anti-hero or anything other than the evil people that they are. I think it's par for the course, to be honest. Um, we don't, you know, there isn't a lot of moral compass in Hollywood or, or you know, for streaming and, I just think as long as that, as a bare minimum, is done, I think it's pretty much fair game. Mm, that's fair. I, I, I do think they hold some responsibility in you know trying not to re-traumatise people who've clearly been through the fucking mill somewhat. I do mm. feel that they'd be better suited bringing the people in to the inside and make sure that they... I'm not going to say comfortable because it's obviously an uncomfortable situation and if you feel the story needs telling, it needs telling. Um, but I, I do think that there are certain elements, especially within Dharma, where they did possibly cross the line, I think, somewhat. I mean, episode six, um, Silenced, I think it was called. It's one of the most devastating things that you'll see on TV. It was, it was very moving. It was very well done. Um but I've also seen TikToks that have been glorifying Jeffrey Dahmer, people dressing up, looking like Jeffrey Dahmer, which makes me wonder, are people then going to be taking it to the streets? And is this going to be like the Halloween costume for this year? I don't know. And I know that's not the creative's fault, but I do feel that they do have a responsibility when things take on a life outside of the show that they present. It is something that needs to be handled with, with kid gloves really they they do need to be careful not to to cross that line so i think it's a, a difficult situation i think they did as good a job as they probably could with a really horrendous story uh, so we'll move on now to something a bit lighter it's the non-film question uh, which is mine this week and it's uh having seen the reviews for gotham knights which have been absolutely well and truly had a steaming dump taken all over it i want to know what is your guilty pleasure in the game world matt now you know me well enough to know that i'm into my dark um shooters and horror games won't watch a horror film but i'll play dead space until the cows come home um (laughs) but by god did i fucking love viva pinata For for those that don't know it, you essentially are in control of a garden and you'll start with a little piñata worm that comes in and by having a worm you'll attract a bird and by having a bird come in you'll attract something else and you have to make them to create more of them and you need certain parameters to have other things come in. I 100%ed it. As in, I got all gamer score, gamer score points for the first Viva Pinata on the 360. It was so calming and so relaxing. And I imagine that this is the same 
what's that Nintendo Switch game, Valley Big Crossing or something? Um, Animal Crossing. Yeah, Animal Crossing that everyone talks about, that it's very zen and very peaceful, but Viva Piñata had a clutch on my life for a long, long time, <laughs> and I'm not afraid to say it anymore. I wouldn't put it out there. But no, it was really perfect, and it, it, but it was a guilty pleasure at the time because you know we had Gears of War, and we had Halo, Halo Reach and stuff, and we had other things out. And there's me pottering around in my in my Viva Pinata garden, and I absolutely loved it. It sounds like like a Facebook game kind of thing. Is is that the type of level it's at? No, no, it's... no. I can't describe it. I could like honestly, it's. Really really worth you fishing it out and playing it um it's made by rare who did banjo kazooie and conquered okay. third day so there's elements of that it's the cuteness and everything of that um but it's got like really good gameplay at the same time and the level of like um you know <laughs> if you've ever played like theme hospital or anything yeah, like yeah. That, or, or it's got elements of that to it but perhaps not quite as chaotic um <laughs> But it's a really, honestly, it's a really fun, it's a really fun game. Okay, cool. Stu, I imagine you've got something properly obscure as well. Um, I was thinking a bit guilty pleasure. I mean, I, I probably spent more time playing like Spyro than I really should have done. Um, and I know I've got a thing with Croc that I bring up on Twitter there and again. Um, Croc Legend of the Gobos, which is like a the place is got it lying around somewhere. The PlayStation One equivalent of Mario sixty four, even though there was no sticks at the time, so it didn't really work. Um, and I kind of irrationally love that game, even though I know it's not very good. Um, that's a really guilty pleasure. I mean, what first came to mind was this you know, on the PS two called Aqua Aqua Wetrix two, and it. it it was basically like, uh, so you got this kind of floating, floating platform, um, and you've got water droplets, and you have to kind of uh, build these mountains and stuff. And it's a puzzle game, which I hate puzzles. I hate anything cerebral, <laughs> so it shouldn't make no difference. I should hate this game, but there was like rainbows and all sorts of stuff, and it it, it looked like it looked like the Care Bears. It, it, that kind of ha- just happy vibe, um, mm. but there was just again. It, I think it, it, the whole Zen thing about it all, just the water physics and building up these platforms to keep the water in so that it didn't didn't spill over the sides. And it was like really cle- really simple and really clever. Obviously, I don't think you could probably even get hold of it anymore unless you had to probably emulate it somehow. Um, mm. But yeah, it was it was really peaceful. I, mean, I was going. Animal Crossing's a good one because, I mean, especially with lockdown, I played that thing to death, New Horizon, because couldn't go anywhere. So you, you play in a virtual world with animals that talk. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'll say Aqua Aqua Wetrix Two was uh, was one that no one knows about, and it, even the box looks as camp as anything, and you think, nah. You shouldn't be playing this, especially when you got things like Siphon Filter and Metal Gear Solid Two. No, bit of wet tricks. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, mine is Angry Birds. Like, yeah, that's you know, good though. 
But it's brilliant. But you know me, I generally hate things that are popular. And this was very much at the height of its craze. I was doing a job that I particularly hated at the time. And I would break up my day by going and having like a 10 minute shit break and just playing Angry Birds. And I did it every day, like two or three times a day. And I managed to three star every single level off the back of doing that. Wow. It's just like this really bright and colourful puzzle game. And really, it's fluff. There's absolutely no depth to it or anything at all. And I absolutely love Angry Birds. I think it's such a fantastic game. It feels like it was the first proper game that was available on a smartphone. I know there were games before, but nothing ever quite captured the the zeitgeist or even the medium quite like Angry Birds did. And I think it took on this whole other life. I mean, obviously, we've had what two, three films since it spawned God knows how many other versions of the game, their own versions, which have been based in the Star Wars universe or, you know, they've had cheap knockoff versions of it as well. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, but it's not something that I would generally go for. Like I'm currently playing cryptic crosswords on my phone. I'm not really an Angry Birds kind of a person. But it just it got me, and I absolutely loved it, and I just got I'm just so obsessed with fucking three star and everything. You, you're playing Cryptic Crosswords with your little mittens, aren't you? you, you... <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. I don't know where my mittens are. To be fair, I do need to find a mate. Tweed jacket mittens, Cryptic Crossword. I mean, <laughs> talk, about, talk about Angry Birds. It has um, gone like I mean, second win with it now because Corey's suddenly discovered it and. Obviously, a five-year-old playing that game, you think they really shouldn't be able to, but obviously they can. Um, but then you go through Angry Birds, Angry Birds 2, Bad Piggies, and all the spin-offs, and then you watch the series and that's on Netflix, as well as the two films. It's just genius. The whole thing is genius, and it all just works. And it is, like I said, it is, it is fluff, but again, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Right, next question. What have you been watching lately? Stu, kick us off. Well, the complete opposite of fluff is all quiet on the Western Front, which is... It's a lot better than... I mean, the, the trailer looks amazing anyway. Um, obviously, we've, we've talked about me liking war films anyway. Um, I think we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, how we, we don't see stories from the other side very often. Um mm-hmm. So I was waiting for this. I mean, obviously, getting ready for the old Christmas season. I thought, well, I'm going to have to play through some actual proper films before all that starts. And then it just miraculously just appeared, and it was there. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to watch it. And yeah, did not disappoint one bit. I, I, I thought it was absolutely superb. Um, again, subtitles versus dubbed. You choose, you decide. No, no judgment there, but. For me, it was subtitles because that's my preference, but it, it doesn't detract from it. And if anything, it, it makes it kind of more claustrophobic because you are, your attention is took away from what's happening briefly because you're reading, um, which makes it even more tense. And I know you, you ain't going to watch it, Andy, because it's a war film, but still. Yeah. It's, um, for what it is, I thought it was great. And obviously, I started Sandman. Um, later than everyone else I know, and I enjoyed that so far. Um, and and Black Adam, very good, enjoyable. Um, 
I don't think I don't really know where I expected it to be. Anything else? But it was just a great old time had by all. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, if, if you want something serious before Christmas and the World Cup starts, All Quiet on the Western Front is a very, very good film. Superb. Uh, that's one thing we didn't actually mention in the news. Um, Sandman has been confirmed as having a season two now. I don't know why it's taken them so long to confirm it because when it was out, it was like the number one streaming show in the world, like for months, you know. And but yeah, they, they finally confirmed it. I'm delighted with that news. It it deserves a second and hopefully a third season because there are plenty of stories to tell from that world. Uh, Matt. Are you happy with uh, Sandman season two, by the way, Matt? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, there's a lot more of that story to tell and what they have told so far for how weird and wonderful that world is or worlds and how quickly the stories themselves jump from one to the other without giving you all the answers and finalizing certain stories. I think the Netflix adaptations did a really good job. Mm-hmm. really good way of condensing it down into these sh- not short stories but you don't get the luxury and time of to be able to explain a lot of the stuff as you do in the audio book or the books themselves um so i think they did an excellent job um what i've watched um i've finally got round to house of dragons and i'm on the last episode now so i've got the last episode to watch um all of the things that, that put me off it ended up being its strengths believe it or not Mm. i didn't need to see a dragon to have enjoyed this show if there wasn't a single dragon until the last episode it would have been absolutely fine because it's actually the politics and all that kind of stuff that's been the most interesting thing about this show i don't know if that's because i've watched the crown in between game (laughs) of thrones and this but actually all the politics side of it w- was really well done. Um, and the, the evolution of the characters, evolution. That's, that's right. That was evolution is the Americanism, isn't it? The way that the, <laughs> how, the character, how the characters have grown and how, how you know, I'm sec- constantly second guessing what their motives are. And all the while there hasn't been one single massive battle scene or anything like that, but I've still been hooked and engaged it's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed it, and um, I hope the like the last episode hints at, from what's happened at the end of the penultimate episode that there will be some form of fighting or what have you in it. But I wouldn't even mind if the last bit of it is just the build up to what will eventually be season two of it. Um, I think it's been excellent. I really, really think it's been it's it's been great. Um, I started um, the Wrexham documentary, mm. which is the stories of the fans are much more entertaining than the story of your two Hollywood megastars anyway. And the fact that it leans into that a bit more as the episodes go on is, is has been has been entertaining. And I don't know why I stopped in the first place, but I'm now back on track with the boys and I'm nearly at the end of the latest series of that. And that's just been excellent as well. Um, so a lesson learned here is just find the time. I just need to find the time to watch the things I enjoy because when I have sat down and just had a bit of me time to enjoy it, the shows I've been watching really have been great. That's superb. I know what you mean about finding the time because, like, we, we'd said on when we did our TV ep- episodes a few weeks back, it's so difficult to fit in all the things that you love. And 
like just looking at my current spreadsheet with everything I'm watching and like I'm already I'm five episodes behind of American Horror Story already and it, it's only been out like three weeks because they're putting two episodes out a week and yeah I think when you find something you love then it really makes the effort worthwhile doesn't it uh, regarding myself uh, I watched Black Adam as well I did not expect to walk out of the cinema having seen a film about American imperialism like it like this is fucking insane I, I had a really good time with it there are some issues with the film. It's not perfect. It falls apart in the third act, like every single superhero film does. Um, and I don't think they explained the Justice Society very well. But as someone who knows that world mm. very well, I was perfectly fine with it. And I didn't need an explanation. I wonder if others may do, though, if I'm being kind of honest there. Um, I watched The Banshees of Inner Sharing, which is perfect. Like, absolutely perfection it was such an incredible film i did not expect colin farrell to be in one of my favorite films of 2022 let alone being two of them and it was excellent i fully recommend everyone needs to go and see this film it's a very low-key movie but it will be banging on the door at the oscars next year it's it was phenomenal it's very rare that a film sits with you quite as much as that did I, I thought it was wonderful movie. You know, Chris said, said exactly the same thing on the uh, Sucker Neophytes podcast this week that mm. he he'd been even to see, it. and he said the, exactly the same thing about Colin Farrell as well that you don't expect it from him, even though we, we should have no reason to doubt him anymore. Um, but he, he said right. it almost word for word exactly what you just said. So that's from a, a view from across the pond as well, and equally as much love going everywhere for him. Yeah, it was superb, absolutely superb. Um, Clerks 3, finally saw it after it not getting a wide release in the UK. Loved it. It was exactly what I wanted it to be and more than what I was expecting. There was a real heart to it that I didn't think was going to be there. I know Kevin Smith's quite good at doing that, but he also likes a lot of dick jokes as well, so... I didn't think it would have quite the emotional impact it did, and it did bring the journey full circle. So I thought it was wonderful. And I watched Barbarian. It was brilliant. It was fucking off-the-wall bonkers, a little bit scary. Justin Lung was wonderful and played a grade-A dickhead in it. He was really good. And when Bill Skarsgård asks Georgina Campbell, um, what do I look like? Some kind of monster. When in the back of your head, you know that he's Pennywise the clown. I loved it. It was excellent. It's another film I'd recommend to everyone. Was Barbarian. It was excellent. Do you want to mention the um, Jodie Whittaker's final episode of Doctor Who? Have you seen it now, Stuart? Yeah, I've watched it now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What did you think? I thought it was a, it was a nice way for it to go out, and in a, in a way, I kind of wanted more then. I thought no, it's it's almost like yeah. um, tenants. I don't want to go. Speech, mm. and it's like yeah, you've been fucked over all in the last two years of this. That actually you are really good, and you've never been the problem, which we've said on here anyway. Yeah. Um, the whole Yaz lesbian attraction thing was all a bit odd. Then, it came out of nowhere, didn't it? That was yeah, the issue. It was, there was no basis to it. Tick boxy nonsense. We don't need don't need it. It never 
needed that part of it anyway. Yeah, if there was a storyline reason, it, no, not a storyline reason because gay people exist, they don't need a storyline. Like if if the seeds were sown before, it just felt like it was such a left turn out of nowhere, and it wasn't her character for like a year and a half of her run. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm gay. It was. It just didn't sit right within the the remit of the story they told. Mm. Yeah, that, that was that was slightly. You know, I mean, I mean, because I, I, I'd watched the last three. I mean, I watched the last year's um, New Year's Eve episode this week, um, <laughs> so I watched three back to back, pretty much. And I kind of appreciated it a bit more. I mean, seeing Ace as well. I didn't watch much of the old stuff, um, but I remembered her. And it's like, mm. what? Where have they found her from? Where's have they got these people at retirement to, to come and bring their old characters back? Because yeah. they weren't great, were they? <laughs> no, <laughs> acting was, but then they never were. So, um, I like the little montage thing, like, like you always do, and how they kind of reference why they look nothing like they used to, mm. um, especially McCann, which. If you didn't, if you didn't know who that was, you'd have no idea, would you? He no, looks nothing not like cool. himself at all. Um, yeah, I thought it was a nice way to go out, and then obviously the end was the end, which was was great in itself. But yeah, I think glad it's all over now, and we've got something new to look forward to. And I can't wait for next year now. And after the the last eighteen months of it, I don't think I'll be saying that at this point. So mm. yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, it was proper dirge wasn't it for the last couple of years of it's been really poor but her send-off was fantastic and as you say i I am really gonna miss her because she was never the problem it was always chibnall's writing so but we get tenant back the the real doctor so i'm I'm quite happy with that so i'll I'll take that one and uh, i'll count that as a win i think yeah and you can jump in there matt and stop being a loser you can join our fun (laughs) <laughs> oh god, yeah, I'm the loser in this scenario. <laughs> Doctor Who gives a shit. <laughs> Biggest uh, show in the world, Disney money now. Oh really? Yes, yeah. Disney are going to be putting it on 24 hours after the uh, British version drops, apparently. So that'd be coin anything. You can polish a turd. <laughs> Should well. be good with Russell T. Davis um, writing and directing again, though. I mean, even if you don't like Doctor Who, Russell T. Davis's other stuff's always been fantastic. Mm. I think he's one of the best British writers out there. He's brilliant. Anyway, anyway, we'll move on from uh, the Who universe. Stu, your question, please. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard it called the Who universe before. I, I think uh, I just made it up. I don't know. They, but then you are thinking, is it Whoville? But that, that's from the Grinch. And that's a completely different thing altogether. <laughs> um, mine was because of watching, kind of watching Doctor Who, and I thought some of this is a bit over, it's overstaying, it's welcome. So, what is, what is the ideal length of an action scene? Does it have to be in, in, in film or TV or whatever? Um, just in general, is there an ideal? point or do you take it as an individual individual circumstance Matthew I think obviously the quality of what you're watching regardless of its length has to be good enough to keep you wanting to watch it but I think when you're talking kind of hand-to-hand combat 
unless it's in a Kingsman type way where you can drag it out over not even a full version of Freebird. But um, anything kind of after like three or four minutes, I think verges on a little too much. Especially if it says like, you know, with the quick cuts and all that kind of stuff and the camera work. After a while, it could just get a little much. But when you're into the realms of like car chases and, you know, of, of, of that wider, especially like wider angle things, I think they can go on a little longer because you can cut from the visual of the vehicles, then cut to the inside and you're looking at the people that are, you know, and they're, and they're panicking and chasing away. And those can go on for longer. And then take that one step further when you've got battle scenes in like shows like Game of Thrones, for example, that can span on and still keep your interest if it's over a 15-minute window-to-window ad break. So I think it really depends on what it is that you're, you're portraying. Um, but as a as a hard and fast rule, if it's like a one on one hand to hand combat, nothing more than kind of three three or four minutes for me personally. Hmm. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that. I think when it's a proper actual fight, swords, fists, whatever it may be, there's no story being told realistically there. The, the story is very much the end of that fight with whoever walks away from it. So there's no, you're not driving the plot on by having the action. It's it's basically just exposition, realistically. There's nothing nothing of any real substance to it. So like I would liken it to something like, and I might get crucified for this, but from dusk till dawn, it's really good until the action starts and then nothing happens after that point because it is just action. So we get half an hour-ish of a story and then about 50 minutes of just non-stop action and that's when it gets a little bit boring. You need to balance it out. Like Matt pointed out, you could quite easily have a battle scene that went on for a whole episode of Game of Thrones as long as they would cut away and there was a bit of plot going on alongside it uh, you need to find that right balance between the two and i don't think like something like from dust dawn was anywhere near it it was plot driven for the first part and then it was just action driven for the second and there was no meat there was no weight or substance to that second half of the film i've never been a massive fan of that movie even though i like most of the parts within it i just felt it was a little bit poor um but a good action sequence, you want it short, you want it snappy, you want the quick edits, probably not too many, but you want that um, that frenetic energy that comes with it. So I think you can get that done really well in the space of a two and a half minute to three minute sequence. If, you, if it's action in terms of a rooftop chase or a car chase, that's a little bit different. You can drag that out a little bit more because there's stuff going on in between the running parts. But as a general rule, yeah, if it's just mano v mano, I don't want any more than three minutes in, in a single sequence, to be perfectly honest. And even that's probably pushing it. It would need to be really well edited to a song, I think, if you're going to go that long. Yeah, I, I had three minutes as well. And it, it was very much like, you look at the difference between the the one shot in um, Daredevil in the corridor, mm. Um how long is that? It doesn't seem that long, but it seems long enough because it's amazing. 
yet you, we had years and years of Arrowverse stuff where as soon as it got to a fight sequence, it'd be really bad CG anyway, so it'd all automatically look terrible. Mm. But it'd be check your phone time and you're just waiting for it to be over. And that went on for it was it was almost like Power Rangers in the end. That's why I've gone so far behind on it all because it, it just turned into a farce. And I think that is, that is what it is. I think you ground it in reality as well and make it make sense, and it works better. Whereas when if you go on and on, you just people just get bored of it. Mm. It's a bit like with like Transformers, where everything's exploding all over the place. It might be stupid, but it's entertaining. But then you watch similar kind of length of CG action in Justice League with the the flying little bat things, wherever they are, and it was awful. It was rubbish. Mm. It was no, there was no jeopardy. There was no nothing, was there? And you think, oh, this is just going on and on and on. So I think that the, there is the rule of realism as well as entertainment. But I think, yeah... I think three minutes is probably the uh, the consensus for hand-to-hand combat, which is pretty much exactly what I wrote down in the first place, which is <laughs> shocking revelation that we'd all agree. Yeah. I think a big thing is when it's one CG monster versus another CG monster, I don't want any more than five seconds, if I'm being perfectly honest, because you're right, there is no jeopardy, because it's two things that don't exist, so it's kind of boring. Anyway, um, I'm up next. I want to know what is the most overrated film in the IMDb top 25? And does the director of that film have another film that doesn't get the respect that it deserves? Um, I'll quickly give you the top 25. So we've got Shawshank, Godfather, (laughs) The Dark Knight, Godfather Part 2, 12 Angry Men, Schindler's List, Lord of the Rings 3, Pulp Fiction, Lord of the Rings 1, Good, the Bad and the Ugly, Forrest Gump, Fight Club, Inception, Lord of the Rings 2, uh, Episode 5, The Matrix, Goodfellas, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 7, 7 Samurai, It's a Wonderful Life, Silence of the Lambs, City of God, Saving Private Ryan, and Life is Beautiful. That makes up the top 25 movies in the top 250 list on IMDb. Matt, which is the most overrated film of that bunch? Now, I want to say, I want to say Schindler's List. However, I haven't seen it for that long. I'm a, I'm a very different person to the person that saw it like a decade ago, who thought it was a lot of pretentious bollocks. To be perfectly <laughs> honest with you, so I might, under different circumstances, I might see it differently. But I didn't get a lot from it when I saw it the first time, and I don't think I'll get a lot from it now. So I won't go that, because the answer there, unfortunately, as I think it's a great film, is Saving Private Ryan. Now, it's Saving Private Ryan because its action sequences are better in its spiritual successor in Band of Brothers. The story of the human condition is better in Full Metal Jacket. There are just... Other films do all of its elements better than Saving Private Ryan. As soon as you take the D-Day landing section out of Saving Private Ryan, it becomes a very average film, unfortunately. I love the film, don't get me wrong, 
but as I as I take that first fifteen minutes out, it's not spectacular, and it's a shame because that first fifteen minutes are some of the best you'll see in war film history. But the rest of the film doesn't get to the heights that that first fifteen minutes give you. So unfortunately, I think. Saving Private Ryan is very revisionist in its history that people only think of the first kind of 15 minutes of it, uh, where the rest of it I don't think is fantastic. It's good, but it's not fantastic, um, unfortunately. And I think that's what's underrated. I genuinely believe The Terminal is underrated as a film <laughs> because it's a super sweet story. It's a really good performance from Tom Hanks. The human condition is 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 you know looked at, and we you know the Tooch puts in a really shitbag <laughs> performance in it as well. And I just think it's a really fun, sweet film that doesn't. It's when you think of Tom Hanks, nobody puts that film into consideration when you've got Castaway and you've got Forrest Gump and everything else. But it's a really great film. And if somebody else had put the, his performance in that wasn't Tom Hanks, that didn't have a, such a stellar career, it'd be a much bigger film, I think. I think it just gets lost in the annals of, of, of his, you know, his list of performances. Mm, interesting. Um, I think looking at the list, you've got Spielberg, you've got two films of Chris Nolan, You've got the three Lord of the Rings, and then you've got the Dark Knight and Inception for uh, for Chris Nolan. Um, so yeah, you've got there's only a handful of directors who've really cracked that top twenty five, and Spielberg's one of them. Would you say he's one of the the top three of all time? I think you have to on the basis that he has cracked quality and commercial success yeah might not have always have been the best in quality and the best in commercial success or probably has commercially actually but there's always a consistent level of quality as a minimum mm. you know what i mean he's a he's a constant seven to eight more or less nolan is probably between an eight and a nine but then wouldn't have had the commercial side of it to the point that spielberg would have had as well so i think so I think so, and I think you know we can't. It can't all be Belfast and art house. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. you have to embrace the the big budget as well. And if those big budgets are done in a way that actually has some quality to it as well, you know you're on to a winner. Stuart, I watched Saving Private Ryan three weeks ago, and. It stands up a lot better than I expected it to. Um, and you can't take that 15 minutes away because it's in the film. So you, your point's invalid. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because the real answer is obviously Forrest Gump because it's shit. It's it's the most overrated part of the it Just because he's special, yeah. And it was the mid-90s and it was a bit, of a, it was a bit different. This film is not very good. It's not very good. I've, I've given it. It's fine. It's very fine. I don't understand why it's so high in everyone's list of top films ever. 
just because he's a bit different. So? <laughs> there's, there's no argument. I've never actually met anyone in person who loves this film so much that it's in their top five films of all time. No one, ever. Just don't understand it. Yeah, well, see, this is what happens. I just don't... It, and you look at Robert Zemeckis' list, and Flight is on there. No one ever talks about Flight. Mm-hmm. It's a brilliant film. And I remember I went to watch... That was one of the first films I ever watched on my own because no one fancied it. And I was like, oh, well, who's in that? And I was like, oh, well, Denzel Washington. And I was like, oh, I don't like Denzel Washington. Well, that's another one that he's he doesn't get the respect that he deserves. Obviously, the Cheadle's in it as well, so... You are that part of it, but yeah, Flight is a really, really good film mm. for what it is, and it's infinitely better than Forrest Gump. It just is. It's a fact. Argue your case. <laughs> uh, I don't need to argue with. Uh, I don't need to argue with buffoons. I won't lower, my, I won't lower myself to that. You know, <coughs> not only do the critics, but the people disagree with you, Stu, and that's that's more than enough for me. Yeah, I mean, Forrest Gump wasn't going to be my answer, but I, I do agree with you. I do think it's massively overrated. Yes. It, it's just, it's so fucking mawkish. Like, it's proper saccharine bollocks. It, it's just fine, and I feel that there's a lot of issues surrounding uh, ben, Benjamin Buford, is it? Uh, Bubba? <laughs> I, I don't like the representation of him in that or the Black Panthers. I think there's some real questionable shit in that film. And I know that it was 94 when it was released and it's a different world now. And if you listen back to it in our archives, you will hear us have this conversation on our very first episode. But yeah, it's I'm with you. I don't think it's a very good film, if I'm being perfectly honest. But yeah, Flight, good call. That is a good movie that um, almost nobody's even heard of, let alone seen. Mm. Um, my answer I'm going right for the top here I think Shawshank Redemption is one of the most overrated pieces of shit ever I don't even think it's that good a film it's merely okay it's such an average walk through the field of a film like there's no real grip to any of it like you don't really go through the motions of him going from being a banker to him being in jail to him being free it all just sort of happens and it's just fine and it's the kind of film like I've met a few people who've said that this is their favorite movie of all time and I immediately know we're never going to have another conversation about (laughs) film because you've got nothing to say about film if this is your favorite movie it's the safest choice and the fact that it's sat on there at 9.2, which is, I mean, it's the same as The Godfather, but there must be more people who voted for it, is an absolute disgrace. The film doesn't really say anything other than Hope Springs Eternal, which is a fine message, but Hope doesn't spring eternal. Life's shit. Life is, <laughs> life is hard, and it's a fucking graft, and that is not what Shawshank Redemption should be about. I'm not convinced, Andy, that if this film wasn't in black and white and cast by Koreans... Yeah, yeah. I'm convinced by this. I'm convinced you are blinded by the popularity of it. No, 
No, I just don't think it's a good fit. It's, like, like I said about um, Forrest Gump being mawkish, I feel that Shawshank very much relies on that over-sentimentality of things. If the Koreans made it, it would probably have been a bit more hard-hitting, I imagine. That's generally how No, no, no. It's word for word the same, but it's just cast by Koreans. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> Black and white Korean Shawshank Redemption would get 10 out of 10. In the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. No, oh, no, no, that's not absolutely. a safe place before you say anything. <laughs> but a film which actually, I've just clicked onto the Shawshank Redemption, it's got it down to say 9.3 if you actually click into it. Like that is as close to perfection as it gets in a score, and it's not even as good as School of Rock for crying out loud. <laughs> well, anyway, I mean, uh, the, the, yeah, so there, the, are some, there are some truths that don't need saying, obviously. Yeah, yeah, very true. School of Rock, I do think, is a perfect film. I think it is absolutely wonderful. Uh, no, the... I, I think looking at, I, I just had a look down where where it was, and The Green Mile is better than Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, and that's another film I've got no time for either. But it is better than Shawshank. Just no, not in black and white, is he? There we are. Uh, Tom Hanks in it as well. You know, three I mean, hours. Yeah, it's a long ass film. Yeah, it's. Mm. No, uh, but the Frank Darabont film that I think is better is The Mist, specifically the black and white version, obviously. Um, it's a microcosm of America. It actually talks about what happens in the real world. There are stakes to that film that there just aren't in The Shawshank Redemption. And it's one that was overlooked for quite a lot of time. I think they did make it into a TV series, but the TV series was not good. But The Mist is basically a small town which has got a local army base and this mist descends on the town. So a man and his son go to the local grocery store in order to get some supplies because they don't know what's going to happen. And whilst they're in there, stuff comes out of the mist. These horrible monsters start happening. And within this store, you've got people who are your ordinary people, which is the person that we follow. You've got the army people. You've got the conservative Christian nut jobs. There is someone who everyone can sort of identify with within this movie. As I say, it's a microcosm of America and the tensions that build within that that tiny little community once they're all trapped together. And it has got the absolute worst, most devastating ending to any film I've ever seen. It is absolutely horrendous. And that is what life is about. So that's why The Mist is a better film than The Shawshank Redemption. The usual suspect is down at 40 on that list. I don't like that film either. Not, I, like, I don't my, like, not Korean. I, I don't like mm. Brian. My problem was I figured out the twist right at the beginning of the film. So I then spent the rest of the film playing my face that I knew what was going to happen. And then when it did, I was livid. So it was my own fault for ruining it. But I don't like Brian Singer as a, as a director. So that sort of played into it as well. Uh, moving on. Matt, your question, please, sir. So, in light of it coming to be that uh, 28 months later, script has been... It's in the can. It's done. And um, it's very much a chance that this is going to be made and um, put to public consumption. But... Has the zombie genre reached its limit now? What else is there to do with the zombie genre? We've had the classics. 
the most classic being the you know the shopping mall lock-in kind of side of the zombie film we've had zombie horror in terms of more um gory and gruesome we've had it in the mainstream in resident evil and and uh, kind of a new metal early 2000s approach we've had zombie comedy in Shaun of the dead we've had zombie romance as well in in those kind of thing you know those kind of movies as well and a teen teen kind of stuff but i very much feel that zombies are out of fashion at the moment and i think we might have reached the edge after when walking dead finishes finally finishes which has felt like the living you know i very much feel like the undead after the long as walking dead has gone on so long have we reached the end of the zombie phenomena and what else can be dragged out of that genre and as sad as I am to agree with you, because I do love z- zombie films, it does kind of feel like we've hit a bit of a dead end. I was trying to think of um, kinds like genre of film that we haven't seen. I thought musicals. Have we seen a zombie musical? Like, yeah, we, we've seen Anna and the Apocalypse. That's a zombie Christmas musical. It's wonderful. Have we seen period dramas? Yeah, we've seen Pride and Prejudice and zombies. So. Like, where else is there to go? We've got the comedy. We've got the the really rough stuff. We've got the lighter horror stuff for kids. It feels like we've kind of run out of road at the moment with zombies, and it, it's time to have a break and maybe pick a new type of um, monster in order to, to pick up the reins for the next decade or so. And I think mm. The Walking Dead has done a fantastic job with it because, like, what we've... Is it in its, what, 13th year, I think, possibly 12th, 12th, 13th year? Um, Because obviously this season has been extended and extended. And it's really flogged a dead horse, to be perfectly honest, for a large part. The Walking Dead, for for, for the longest time, became less about the zombies and more the world that those zombies inherited. It was less about the survival. You know, the walkers were just extras. Just there. For the longest time. Um, you're exactly right. I don't know where we go with this now. I kind of feel like I don't think you're ever going to jump the shark in a, in something like zombies because because it's not real. That he says, mm. um, there's no you know, it's like Twilight. No one can really be angry at Twilight because vampires don't exist, so they can be whatever they want to be for whoever they want to be. However. I think the zombie side of things now, are, are, it's it's run its course a little bit. Because mm, I was thinking, like, could you do a gangster film, for example, with zombies? Probably not, because zombies don't have any agency. Mm. They're literally just mindless things that stumble around. And I know that fucking Zack Snyder's tried to do that with the Army of the Dead nonsense by having a sentient zombie, but... That was bollocks, and I don't want to see any more of that nonsense. So, yeah, I like it, it makes me really sad to say, but I, mm. I don't think there's anything new that we can see. I'm not saying that, you know, there, there's not other fun films and other good takes of what we've seen. I just don't feel like there's going to be a lot new. But that said, I am really excited about the next Evil Dead film that's going to be yeah. coming out soon. So, 
Yeah. So, so Stu, wave your wave your magic wand. You know, do zombies have to go? Because actually, maybe because it's in terms of time, it's still so quick. But I'm amazed we haven't already had a huge influx of pandemic-y related films post in a post COVID world. I know because we're still living through COVID in certain aspects, but you'd think actually the two would go hand in hand in terms of actually um, getting interest in the zombie genre whilst also having it as part of like a pandemic related storyline. So is that the way you go with it or, or does it not need revitalizing? Is it better to leave it where it is? I think because we already had, was it contagion? Is that what it was called? Mm. Mm. Which was pretty much exactly what happened to everyone. Uh, I think well, that's kind of nailed it now. You can't do it anymore. Um, the answer's kind of happening in January where you go, you actually go with science and what is actually real. And that is The Last of Us. And that the reason why the clickers and... Hmm, let's not get too much into it. The creatures in that series slash game um for argument's sake just talk about the series which is the same thing they evolve because a real life fungus that you can look up on the which is where they got the inspiration for the game from um cordyceps is a thing that takes over ants and zombifies them that's a real thing so the whole premise was what if it can jump species like mad cow disease did so maybe this is how they do it. Maybe this is how, maybe you go down science mm. fact slash fiction and do it that way and have mm. an actual, like, like in the, the first series of the, the Walking Dead where you go to the um, the CDC and you think, well, are we going to find out what actually happened? And you never do. And I know that's not the point of the show, but still, that was that was really interesting when they were going down that route. You think, well, yeah, how, did all this ha- or how did all this happen? What started it all? We've never really got that. So... Maybe the science route, science fiction route, is the way to go because we've, all, like you said, we've gone through everything else. Mm. So, using the, the jump species model, maybe that's that's all that's left. I mean, I, my answer what originally was musical because, well, obviously, why not? But now that it's, all, it's already been happened, I'm quite sad, and I, I don't, I've never seen it. Well, it's perfect though, for you because it's uh... Christmas. <laughs> True. Down, down the science route, especially in light of what we've all been through over the last three years, it's probably more terrifying than anything for the genre in terms of actually <laughs> there's an element of it being potentially real. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're probably right. It's probably the way to go with it. Yeah. So there we go. Super. Right, quiz time. I bought a book. Ultimate Millennials movie quiz book. Oh, wowzers. <laughs> it was like... 50 pence on Amazon, so let's see if it's actually any good. Um, in order to answer, I need you to shout out your name and then you can give me the answer. Okay? So, Matt, you say Matt, you say you say Stu. Yep. Right. Okay. Each question is worth a different amount of points, so here we go. Right. First question. Macaulay Culkin appeared as Kevin McAllister in which film? Stu, how am I now? That's one point for Stu. Two points for the next question. Leonardo, Donatello, Raphael, Michelangelo That's made up the Wicked Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's two one to Matt Stu to get back in it. What song is played during the famous pottery scene in Ghost? 
It's the Righteous Brothers, isn't it? Um, Steve Righteous Brothers. Oh, t- uh. you've got five seconds. Oh, Matt, 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 uh, Matt. Oh no, that's the Everly Brothers. Right, that's, you've had five. You've had ten seconds there, Stu. Matt, chance to steal. It's not Unchained Melody, is it? It's Unchained yeah. Melody. Right. Okay. Question number four for four points. Ask what do Robbie Coltrane and Eric Idle dress whilst on the run? This is a classic that I remember in the spa, local spa on VHS. No idea. Oh, uh, Men in Tights. No, it's not Men in Tights. Matt, any idea? No. no. Okay. The answer on that one, they were nuns on the run. <laughs> it's brilliant you should see it <laughs> uh, question five which is worth five points edward and vivian are the main characters in which romantic comedy film edward and vivian in a romantic comedy matt it's not yep. sleepless in seattle it's not sleepless in seattle Stu, any ideas? Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> no, no idea. it's not. It's Pretty Woman was the answer oh, there. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, question six, which is worth six points. What name does Don Dunbar give to the wolf he befriends in Dances with Wolves? No I had idea. no idea. I'll skip this one straight away. Stu, any ideas? Bluey. <laughs> <laughs> it was two socks. I don't know. I've never seen oh, the that. Paul, yeah. Right. Uh, question seven for seven points. To which year do Marty McFly and Doc Brown travel back to in Back to the Future Part Three? Uh, Matt. Matt. Uh, Eighteen eighty-four. Stu. They did travel back to in part three, so I'm guessing that's back to the 80s. I'll go with 85 because that was my first thought. I can't give you that. They travelled back to 1885. Oh, my goodness. I need it to be specifically the 1800s, and Matt, you were only one year out, which, fair play, that was close. That was close. Uh, Right. Question eight might be unfair to Stu here, or on Stu's side. Die Hard 2 is set in which airport? Um, if you give me the airport, great, but I will accept the city the airport is in, or the state the airport is in. Matt, I don't know why this jumped out to me. Is it in Denver, Colorado? <laughs> it's not, no. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, the first one's in LA. What? I don't know. It's not. Oh, it's, it's, it's New York, isn't it? It's not. I, I thought it was New York as well. It was at, I think it's Duluth International Airport, Washington, D.C. I thought it was New York as well, to be fair, but no, sadly not. Uh, what make of car does Tom Cruise drive in Days of Thunder? Mustang. 
Is it a Mustang? I don't know. It's well, uh, it's the make of car. So whoever, if it's a Mustang, I don't know who makes Ford. the car. Um, not not Ford. It's not Ford, no. Uh, 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 uh Dodge. <laughs> no, 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 I've got a clue. <laughs> Uh, the answer is Chevrolet. Oh. And the final question, in what town is arachnophobia set? I had no idea. Matt, Denver, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly not, no. <laughs> it's probably, I mean, I'm thinking something like Arkansas or something like that. It says Canamia. Never heard of it. I don't know if it's made up or not. Uh, but Matt, you win with two correct questions for five points to Stu's one. Any idea what connects those ten questions? Ooh. So you're looking at Home Alone, Teenage Recent Ninja Turtles, Ghost, Nuns on the Run, Pretty Le- uh, Pretty Woman, Dances with Wolves, Back to the Future 3, Die Hard 2, Days of Thunder and Arachnophobia. What links those films? Are they all the same in the same year? 1990. Yeah. That, that's it. They were all 1990. Yeah. yeah. There you go. That's a good quiz. Lovely. And we've got another 150. <laughs> may, I make a, may I make a slight um, suggestion for next time? Yeah. No hardest fruit or easiest. Yeah. I, I, think, <laughs> I was halfway through and I thought, I don't know any of these fucking answers. I've done it the wrong way around. But yeah, we'll do that in future. <laughs> Right, uh, next week is a picture pod. You know, I was thinking the other day, it's been a long time since we've watched a really, really shit Nick Cage film. Like, a, one we probably hate. Um, and next week we're watching Xander Lee. So, I look forward to your wrath over that film. It's not even on justwatch.com to see where it's streaming. So, you will probably need to... Um, Employ the dark arts to find this one. I do have a copy if you need it. <laughs> yeah, um, you're probably going to hate it. Like, prob- properly going to hate it. But yeah, um, if you can find it to, to, to watch or download or whatever, please do and then join us and be angry as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, make sure you've got us on whatever podcatcher you're listening to and if you could leave us a review, we would love you forever. And also just tell your friends what we do if they enjoy films too. They may enjoy what we do. Uh, So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Have a good week. Check in on your pals and don't wear your socks to bed, you weirdos. (laughs) Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Not everything has to be Korean or black and white. Goodbye. (laughs) It's goodbye from me and remember. Be excellent to each other.